the word of the Lord to the church of Galatia, chapter 3, verses 4, 7. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the letter to the church in Galatia, which I just finished reading for you, and serves as the theme for the second Sunday after Pentecost. In Christ alone, we become sons and daughters of God. Richard Burton starred in one of my favorite movies, and to this day, I believe, is the greatest portrayal of Alexander the Great in the same movie of its namesake. I know, many prefer the action heroes of today, but I still prefer the purity and honesty of the older version and Richard Burton's attempt to characterize one of the most famous leaders in the world in history. One of the things that intrigues me the most about this leader was his tutor, or pedagogue, as the ancient Greek refers to it, was Aristotle, one of many famous philosophers that were responsible for the basis of modern thinking. My favorite line in the movie about Alexander is spoken by Aristotle to Alexander when he comes in from a hunt with the slain mountain lion over his shoulders. One of Alexander's young contemporaries describes the hunt in dramatic fashion, giving the details to Alexander's tutor and pedagogue Aristotle, who asked whose kill it was. His alone, on foot, replied one friend with great energy. You should have seen it. It was like a duel to decide who would be king, replied the second with equal intensity. Then Aristotle, appraising the group, replied with the wisdom of one of the most famous philosophers of the age, that duel need never have been fought. This statement showed that Alexander would be challenged by no one for his kingship, for he was the heir and certainly no slave to anyone. 
but the son of the Macedonian king Philip, and his kingdom was assured. Today, I want you to know that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking this very reality to the people of God at the church in Galatia. Only their realization was not as insignificant as the mere timely greatness of Alexander. No, their realization was as sons and daughters of God and eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul tells them that the people of God did indeed have its pedagogue, or as the ESV renders it, our guardian, that very instrument by which God protected his people in the infancy of faith and existence was the law. The law, which instructed and protected them from certain disaster, but would never save them. Rather, only measure, guide, and objectively show them who they really were. There's an old notion of how we develop in life to maturity. And what we fundamentally need at each stage and what the eventual outcome will be. The first stage is when we manipulate people for survival. This is the infant stage of life. When we scream and cry for our basic needs, hunger and diaper changes to assuage our damp and disgusting discomfort. I imagine this is what Adam and Eve were in their infant faith. I simply want, so I take, with little or no regard for the eternal consequences of their selfish and sinful actions. This is often what we were like in our infant faith. We ignored the admonitions against lying, stealing, and cheating. Sure, we knew who Jesus was. We read all the stories about the disciples, but that didn't help us win Jenga, Monopoly, or pick up games in the street. So... We went to Sunday school, but by Friday with our friends, we found ways to cut the corners so we could win. The second stage is described as the teenage stage, where the child seeks to integrate socially. And this could be likened to the law stage, when the law served as our tutor and pedagogue. And God's people were guided in their proper socialization as his people in a world that was just so counter to God's teachings. Just like the young and impressionable teenager, God's people made social mistake after social mistake, sometimes unintentionally and sometimes like a rebellious teenager, willfully and full of pride. Oh, what memories of the gospel I remember as a teenager an amazing youth minister and pastor to mentor and care for us teens spiritually. But what equally powerful memories of relationships, dating in youth group and school that ran parallel to our church life, sometimes intersecting with one another and other times ignoring each other. The third stage is the gathering of knowledge stage. This is when people go to college or trade school. They develop into an independent lifestyle thanks to the knowledge that they have accrued. In a word, they discover emotional and physical independence and people willing to pay them for their knowledgeable expertise and thereby grant them greater freedom in their world. 
In Christendom, this can be likened to the stage at which the church had come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as the Savior and Redeemer of the world. No longer would the law guide them, for they have now been clothed in the righteousness of Christ's blood-stained robes. His baptism identifies them as the children of God and no longer slaves of sin. His cross becomes for them the very fulfillment of the seed of Abraham, which makes them all sons and daughters and heirs of the eternal kingdom. Oh, the utter joy I have every day at seeing students and confirmants getting that aha moment of the gospel and realizing its power and truth by faith. Then the young families getting married under the cross of Christ, bringing their children to be baptized, raising their families in the church and school as their primary identity with friends, social life, and goals, all wrapped up in their relationship with Christ at the center of it all. The final stage is the gathering of wisdom. The career is over, and security and retirement is given over to a life of leisure. Now is the time to reflect and refine the life that they have led. Now is the time to gather wisdom from all the experiences. The mature human being can sagely advise the younger generations and become wise pedagogues of their own. For the church, this is the time of faithfully absorbing and enjoying all God's wisdom imparted. This is the time for managing the wealth of gifts that God has given us to bless his people and his creation. In this mature stage, the believer can relish the reality of their sinful nature that has been redeemed by Christ to live a life that is rich in God's blessings. It shows us that we recognize what God has done for us so we may do likewise for others. I have so much joy in serving alongside amazing wisdom imparted to me through Bible studies I lead, giving me incredible guidance that helps me every day as a caretaker of souls guided by Christ alone through his sons and daughters guided by Jesus for 60, 70, 80 years and more. As the church matures in its spiritual wisdom, it realizes how little it's done, and how much God has given through his one and only son, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead for our sins. And this reminds me of all the times I've watched this last stage of life come to an end. It is at this time we become dependent on our loved ones for mere survival again. Someone must bring us nourishment. Someone must care for our surroundings. And someone is looking after us to the end. It is at this moment that we know our Heavenly Father as a little child again. And we cry to him, not as slaves who has no one to love and care for them, but as true eternal children of God, heirs of his kingdom forever. Because Jesus fought the devil to make us his own forever. And like Aristotle said of young Alexander, the duel need never been fought because the devil lost before he ever even challenged our heavenly father. And his defeat was as certain as death and taxes. 
in our final hours. Our inheritance in Christ is assured. We indeed are heirs and truly sons and daughters of God because of Christ and what he has done alone. Amen. Now may that peace which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus always. Amen.